joining the ESBC Podcast Network, where the purpose of the podcast is always to be frank and honest so we can get somewhere, right? Every single business meeting has to have a purpose and an outcome. The purpose is to make money, not like Trevor Bauer, who faked out the Dodger fans that uh, wanted autographs from him. He should have said, hey, I'm just here for the money. I'm not here to sign autographs. Uh, like he's honest with the women, right? He says he just wants to have sex with women. He does not want to date them or marry them. It's just a transaction. Transaction. And that's where we're at. And we have to be. We just got out of a pandemic. We have to keep things real. You have to retire with night with $3.5 million in cash and $3.5 million in assets, right? So we have to keep it real. We can't waste time. We have to make money. And then one of the basic rules that I see people not do, and it's getting people killed, is you have to know your surroundings and you have mm -hmm. to know trends and how successful people operate, right? So those, that's part of the purpose of the podcast. Third is, uh, this is horse racing true crime. So we understand the criminal mind, crimes being committed. So it's a true crime podcast. I've been watching mm -hmm. true crime with my wife, 17 years. I have an MBA. She's been 17 years a psychotherapist and she figures out those crime shows fast. And it's a great way to learn your surroundings and people are interested in true crime. So I'm taking right. the holes, the problems with true crime podcast, what isn't real and boil it down to things that are real and things that are going to make you money. So that's the purpose. What's been the outcome? The outcome is that on this podcast, uh, it's always better to be lucky than good, but on this podcast, we gave you between the Twitter feed and the podcast, the first two winners of the first legs of the Triple Crown and Mike Pristinisi gave you the show course, Rumbrower, who finished third, hitting at 12 to one. So we've made you money. So we've been 500% uh, ROI between college basketball, college football, uh, and the NFL. Right now we're doing on the Twitter feed, we're doing the NBA playoffs. We're breaking even, but you still have the seven games and you still have the third round in the finals. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the present value of it is huge. We see a lot of profit coming in. And at the end of the podcast, we will talk about what's going on in Torrey Pines and uh, sure. make you some money at Torrey Pines and tell you who, who to look at in the final rounds. Uh, it's going to give you a nice plus number for a win. Right Now, if you're the smartest, toughest person in the room, you are in the wrong room so we're gonna catch you up with the podcast get things up to date i was a little under the weather last week so i didn't do it but we're gonna catch you up i was doing my research and again it's better to be looking than good the the stars have, have aligned where you have a very very interesting current narrative on many levels the true crime level the finance level because intertwined in what we do here in every podcast is uh, mental health, first aid kit, and really a financial first aid kit. But we give you actionable information so you can monetize now. So if you have to make a mortgage or a rent payment, you have a chance through using business and financial 
concepts in order to think really and in order to predict outcomes right uh, but you have to know a little bit of history we're talking a little bit of history today uh so you can predict outcomes in the future besides using probability theory besides using decision sciences used by fortune 15 companies who also teach here you have to know have a never going to get a complete accurate portrayal of what happened in history because it's written by the people who won and the people who lost also have a valid story but it gives you clues so you can connect the dots in the now like steve jobs said in his commencement speech that everybody should listen to about connecting the dots and it's easier to connect the dots backwards than it is connecting the dots forward so if you're the toughest smartest person in the room you are in the wrong room. That's where we have Mike Prestonisi, married 40 plus years, has three successful kids, has three probably going on successful businesses. And um, we met in 2011, I believe, actually probably like 2010. This yeah. is now 2021, 11 years down the road. Thank you for joining yeah. us, Mike Prestonisi. Well, thank you, Josh. You know, one thing you said about connecting the dots backwards, Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of those habits he said was begin with the end in mind. Okay. And so you begin with what you want, what you see, what you believe, what you perceive, and then you work backward. And I found that to be very helpful in my life. I know you have too, because you say, well, okay, if you're talking to a client, let's say our listeners or viewers have, they're in sales or they're in marketing, they're in public relations, they're dealing with the public and they want to know how to help their client. The quest, first question is, well, what do you expect to gain? Where do you want to be in six months, 12 months, two years? And then listen. And if, if they know that answer, they'll tell you, be very succinct. If they don't, it'll be awkward, frustrating and embarrassing. And that's okay. That's because you're now clarifying for them, oh, so this seems to be a little bit of a complicated path, which is a polite way of saying, you don't have a clue and we're here to help. So like you said too. No, no that's good. And you know, Coach uh, Mike, you know, repeat stuff. I repeat things and it always reminds me where pe people are giving me feedback. Oh, why are you repeating it? Well, let me give you an analogy why I'm repeating it. There was this, uh, Mike Persinisi, there was this pastor in uh, North Carolina. He goes okay. to this church, this church, they're doing well, but they feel they could do better. So they get a new pastor. And this church has uh, 1,500 members. First month, the pastor increases the membership to 3,000. Second month, it, it, he increases this to 5,000. After six months, this church is now 7,500, but uh, the offerings, the percentage of the offering per person had increased tenfold. And he kept that until the end of the year. And in the end of the year, he had 10,000 members and he was bringing in $100 million in Durham, North Carolina. Hmm. But even my dad, right, he's a vertical integrated guy. I'm a vertical integrated guy, not in the ministry. I'm the only one siblings that are not in the ministry. My ministry is different. 
if somebody listening to the podcast felt the need yeah. to tell me they were going to church now and uh, spending more time with their kids, and I never met this guy, and I never, I don't even talk about religion on the podcast. So it was very interesting. So my dad says, you never have a board because no matter how good you're doing, the board always wants some sort of say. So you never have a board. Just open up your church and you're, you're the one that controls everything. Vertical integrated, like Apple, the biggest uh, company in the world. Right? Mm-hmm. So all my businesses have always been like that. Vertical integration. So this pastor didn't know that. So the board comes up and they have a meeting and they say, hey, don't take this the wrong way. We're going to give you a raise or whatever. It's like, well, I'm not here for the money. I love my faith. And they say, listen, uh, you've done amazing, right? You come here, uh, membership is 1,500, right? Uh, it's not 10,000. <laughs> now you're bringing in 100 million. We didn't even have a million in offerings when you came in. However, we noticed that every week, you say the same thing. You don't change your uh, you don't change your sermon at all. So even though it's effective and you're doing good, is it possible you can preach something else? It's like, listen, when you guys start consistently applying that sermon, then I'll change it. <laughs> right on, right on. Right? So if we're repeating something on the podcast it's because during that week, usually we've seen somebody not do it and something obvious people should be doing and listening empathically, empathically and in detail. It's very important. Not taking your cell phone to dinner. uh, Yeah. Turn it off, leave it in the car. And it's not just uh, listening to people. It's reading people. Reading people, right? Somebody sends you a text. Somebody sends you an email. You don't quite have it. Read it two or three times until you do have it. And you are listening to what the person is saying. You listen to tone. You right. listen to all kinds of things. You know, and no. then you'll remind yourself why you don't listen. Right? <laughs> you want to avoid certain things. Uh, but fix that. Because it's very important to be aware of your surroundings, Right. Yes, yeah. really by doing that, uh, because we live in the richest country in the world, uh, you'll make more money. One other reason, Josh, that we repeat is every now and again, we have new people come in, either new viewers, listeners. Right. So there's kind of an influx of new people. And maybe some have heard this. Maybe they've heard it once or twice. And I challenge people. I say, look, if you've heard something three or four or five times, you should now be teaching it. If you heard it, and you're doing it, you should be teaching it. Well, and to know and not to do, to know and not to do is not to know. So it, sometimes they say 17 times it takes you to listen to something before you're internalizing. Right. So people right. are binging the podcasts, right? You're yeah. internalizing this information that we know are actionable steps to uh, make money. Sure. sure. And live a, a richer life because we know it's on these true crime podcasts. That murders just don't have it for sex or greed, no, uh, or money. They they happen for prestige, for these other, uh, you know, control. You know, people are control freaks. Happen all you know different reasons, right? Yeah, and you yeah. have to have a motive, and you have to have opportunity. Facts of something. Uh, another good 
ground rule for the podcast that I like repeating every podcast. Facts are things proven to be true. How do you prove things? Video evidence, right? That's corroborated. And you get into detailed video and contemporaneous documentation, right? Uh, eyewitnesses. Eyewitness is the worst form of evidence, the least right. reliable. So you need corroboration, right? Contemporaneous, somebody who reports it right away. Very, very important. And to finish it, let me know your thoughts, right? Uh, everybody can have their own opinion. We want everybody to have an opinion. This is America, this is democracy. Right. Not Dubai that we're going to talk about today, where you can't have an opinion or Saudi Arabia or Russia or China. This is the United States of America. And no matter how whacked out your opinion is, you have the right to have it. And I would prefer, as an extroverted person, a person likes to learn, go ahead, verbalize it. Uh, it's good that right. nobody, it says in the Bible, people want to be Bible, people are religious, but every religious book says the same thing. Judge not, so lest ye be judged, right? <laughs> so say whatever you want. However, even though you, everybody can have their own opinion, the opposite of every truth is also true. Right. You cannot have your own facts. Facts. Facts are, as we described, things that can be proven to be true with video evidence, corroboration of contemporaneous documentation, and eyewitness testimony corroborated by several people. And Coach Mike, the law and justice and what's right are distant cousins at best. It might be divorced. It might not even be related anymore, <laughs> depending on where you're at, right? So just because you're committing crimes and you're a criminal doesn't yeah. mean they're going to lock you up and put you behind bars, right? There's selective prosecution. Selective prosecution. Uh, mm -hmm. And the three types of people, right? And we'll let you comment before we get into sure. uh, the winner of, of the Belmont State and then the owner to understand true crime. You got to understand every parts of it, right? We talked about the shady local politicians. Today's the owner with Dubai, and then we'll end with golf, but the three types of people. Coach Mike and I, Mike Persinisi and I are, uh, we don't do anything unethical, immoral, or illegal, right? Most people will do something immoral or unethical for a big payout right and some people do all three like the chinese birther lady in anaheim she made 10 million dollars in the birther home yeah no uh, illegal because she had fake passports and she had a racket going on and she paid a three million dollar fine and she made 10 million and spent nine months during the trial in county jail, not a state prison or anything, county jail. Now you would ask, even me, I would think about it. A lot of people would think about it. Would you spend nine months in a county prison for a Chinese birth or home and make a $7 million profit? They say, Mike, easy. nine months in a county jail, once you're out, you're going to have a $7 million nest egg. Mm, let me think. Grandkids in a <laughs> the challenging question. 
I I would probably say no, but here's something that's happened, Josh, and you and I both experienced this. During this COVID-19, this pandemic, we've watched the behavior of a lot of people change. Right. And you could talk about the motivations, the triggers. I mean, she could really give us the, the backdrop on that. But I've seen a lot of people just in this last year and a half or so that were, let's say, of one particular mindset that seems to have changed or there's been a lot of new, uh, for lack of a better description, input into where they're at today. And now they have maybe a differing opinion or their, their opinion has skewed one way or the other. And when you asked that question, I was laughing with you. Right. Because think about it for a moment. Let's say, for example, someone like my people came from Italy, yours from Cuba. Let's say when they came here and they were broke, busted, and disgusted, and somebody says, hey, Mike, how would you like to make $7 million? It'll cost you 10 months of your life. All you got to do is kind of disappear. The first reaction is, where do I sign? And then they explain it to you a little more and a little more. And you say, okay, well, hold up. I have to be in jail. Yes, you have to be in the county jail for nine months for nine months and and how what's the guarantee when i get out the seven millions there well you're gonna to have to trust us when you're a young man or a young woman <laughs> i'm not sure I can the, the chinese birth lady didn't have to do that because she already had the money she had the money see and that's a whole different level we talked about this earlier it's a whole different level of where people are both financially comfortable in their own skin what are you willing to do versus not do? What are your morals? What are your values? What are your convictions? And all that comes into play. Right. And, and it's the, not, it's, that's why the, this podcast in particular, in true, pri, uh, true crime podcast, and really, we're not, we're giving you information you don't get anywhere else, right? Because we're giving you reality. And the truth is far more bizarre, far more stranger than fiction, right? But, it's not this fantasy world you get on TV. I don't care if it's Fox. I don't care if it's CNN. I don't care if it's Newsmax or CNBC. All of them are, are giving you an escape maybe from your job or whatever. However, they're not really giving you uh, the facts as they come because facts aren't as tied up in a bow as what you see, right? It's in finance was complicated. It's something that has two or more factors. Now, what's illegal, right? Uh, what's immoral and unethical, immoral and unethical, it's up to you. Uh, what's illegal is up to the jurisdiction and then the willingness of the king cop, right? Or the culture to uh, selectively prosecute you for that crime. There's certain crimes that are permissible in certain places. Let's say uh, in Orange County was a mask mandate. California said, oh, you have to wear masks. Sheriff Barnes says, you don't have to wear a mask and none of my cops are going to enforce it. So that's selective prosecution that happens since the start day of time. So just because something's illegal doesn't mean it's moral or ethical. Uh, Mike Christianese and I, we go by the Bible, King James Bible, Christianity. Christianity, right now, today, Christianity is illegal in China. And throughout history, the Romans banned Christianity. So in our mind, 
Christianity is moral and ethical. However, it was illegal and is illegal in China right now. So, so you understand our language. <laughs> well, we're saying somebody's a criminal or illegal. And there's uh, pious guys that look like the white driven snow. They look good, act good, great, and they're bad guys. And there's mm. guys with a bunch of tattoos on, you know, a tattoo in their neck. Uh, they look like a straight up criminal. It might even be a criminal, might be committing crime, but it might be a good guy. So mm. things are not clear cut as simple as people would like them to be. And like what you see on TV, on the news or whatever, it's not like that. It's not, but it's not the hall of justice against the, <laughs> yeah. you're right, you're right. It, the hall of justice against the whatever. It's not, unfortunately, no. it's not that simple and not that clear cut. And at the same time, you have to be aware of your environment. So this is one of the value points of this podcast is that we figure a lot of these things out for you connecting the back dots backwards and between Mike Persinisi and I we have 119 years <laughs> of data to connect the dots man you're old you get the value <laughs> Well, the point you made, and I, we've said this many times to our viewers and our listeners, if you use the ELM process, ethical, legal, moral, that's kind of my first pass, okay? If it's ethical, legal, moral, I'll continue on. If I think in the very first pass that there's something, one of those three letters is missing, I'm going to do a lot of questioning and exploring and probing because I probably can't get over that. Now, does that mean that I'm this high, moral, ethical, pure guy? I hope it means that, but more importantly, it means I don't think I want to hitch my wagon to your train here, coach, because I don't think this is going to go where I think we should go. And I've had people call me names. They've cursed me. They said, you're full of crap, blah, blah, blah. You're phony, blowny. You know what, Josh? I can live with that. I've got big, broad shoulders. I have five grandkids. Sometimes I have three of them on me at one time. I, I get it. And when you take a stand for things, like we're teaching our viewers and listeners, sometimes it takes a lot of guts to take a stand and people are going to laugh at you spit at you mock you like my dad for example technically was an immigrant in this country for the first 10 years even though he's born here in america he couldn't speak english so he'd go to school and the kids would make fun of him they'd mock him they'd spit on him he'd get in fights he came home i think he was 10 years old the story goes he said to his dad my grandfather hey i gotta learn to speak english here in this country because it ain't working for me so he got the dictionary out now, this is for the listeners and viewers who want to get ahead in life. Here's a real non-brainer. Seriously. He got the dictionary out and he started reading the dictionary. And as he would read the dictionary, he started learning words. And as he started communicating, by the time he was graduating high school, you would have thought he was a college professor because he had such a great vocabulary. Why? It was a survival technique. But you said, know your surroundings, unresolved conflict, unresolved trauma. He said, I got to get rid of this. I'm, I'm not going to live. And so that's how, that's one of the things you take away from this podcast is, guys, I know this is simplistic. I know this is ground level. Do it. Don't argue with us. Just do it. And tell us what the results are. You'll be surprised, Josh. If people start reading their dictionary, they'll learn things they never knew before or heard a word someone used and go, that's what that word means. I never knew that. 
happens all the time. That's one technique uh, only in America. Don King, that's what he did. That's why he had a great vocabulary. So Don let's King? get to the Belmont Stakes, right? So the uh, Belmont Stakes, I'm going to look at what the handle was. So the handle of the Kentucky Derby was $233 million, right? Won right. by, and we gave you the winner, Medina Spirit. Who do we think was going to win Medina Spirit? Because we felt that uh, Bob Baffert was going to spike the horse and the horse was going to win. So what happened? Bob Baffert spiked the horse. The horse won and won 12-1. And the theme that went through the whole three races is in picking the horse, which horse is going to be a Wall Street bets type horse, a Tesla type horse. Yeah. You get a $1,000 thousand percent return because in stocks not the dollar value is the percentage so amazon's up thirty thousand percent from what it was uh 10 years ago 10 years ago yeah so uh the people that are that's why we're going to talk about the owner uh cheek uh, mohammed from uh, dubai who ends up winning the belmont we go to the preakness and then on my Twitter feed, I gave you a 12 to 1 horse winner of the Preakness, right? Uh, Rumbauer. And the reason I picked Rumbauer because it was a $12,000 horse. Uh, that $12,000, Dean Spear was another $12,000 horse. I said, okay, 12 to 1, $12,000 horse. Uh, it's gonna this this horse has the most increase in value, right? And mm -hmm. it's being run by a guy that gives you a clue, Flavian Pratt. Flavian Pratt, great chapter. We're gonna be looking at at um, Del Mar. I'll be studying mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Del Mar from now. I'll give you the Del Mar racing season. We'll give you that on the podcast. Horse racing, true crime, right? The true crime aspects, right? I forgot to give the recap, right? So we started with uh, Mike Gill, right? Mike Gill talked about Penn National being run by the mob. Uh, Steve Wynn, I encourage people to listen to uh, the mob-like activities by Steve Wynn, who was also the financier for the Republican Party, also the financier for the Republican Party in California. But the mob ties between Penn National who begets uh, Portnoy, pump and dump. So pump and dump means you buy an entity, you create an entity, you pump up the entity, and once the price gets high, you dump the stock. So that's what Portnoy did, Barstool Sports, Pinnashville, which controls half of sports bettings, casinos with William Hill, and their influence in horse racing. Then we went to Jason Service, George Navarro, that beget the Stronich family, Vertical integration that we talked about. Apple, vertical integration. My dad likes vertical integration, which means having no board at the church. He's the one, he's the board. You know, or he would say, God's the board. Who's going to argue with God? Vertical integration, right? Total control. So you go from that, we go to what we just described, Stronich family. We go to the ongoing that we're going to do some reporting on because we see some lack, some mistakes being made in law enforcement. We're gonna report on the Honey and Barry Sherman. Sherman murder, 
It's been ruled a murder. Nobody knows who did it. They own a pharmaceutical company. They own pharmaceutical pharmacies that is in the vertically integrated farms of the Stronich family, who own six tracks, six horse farms, have business dealings in public with George Soros, the Clinton Foundation, uh, and the now CEO of half of Stronich is going to be, oh, was an MP with our guy we saw this week, a lot of Justin Trudeau, the yeah. president of Canada, he was an MP, MP in Canada, right? So you take all that and you go to uh, Bob Baffert, we profile Bob Baffert. Bob Baffert is now banned from horse racing pretty much. Uh, 30 horses, and we had 160 horses die in Santa Anita. So there was a large spike in horses, was Barry right. and Honey Sherman going to uh, blow the whistle and they got popped by who? We don't know, but the Stronich family has to be, let, let's put it to the, this way. And Mike Prisonisi, like your <laughs> thoughts on this, if you disagree with this, uh, for the podcast, the Stronish family are at the top person of interest. Well, they are a person of interest, right? But did they okay. pop on yes or not? But they're number one person of interest in the murder of the billionaire couple in Toronto who were found dead in their basement, right? This horse racing, true crime. They have horse pharmacies. And at the same time, these hundreds upon hundreds of horses were being um, spiked that we know for sure with the FBI uh, indictment because Jason Service uh, and George Navarro were indicted by the FBI and they're now, I think next week what we'll do is we'll go through all those indictments and we'll read, we'll be able to go backwards and connect some dots. Uh, because really uh, the shake that we're gonna talk today is involved in it because this all started at the Saudi Cup, Saudi Cup uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So do yeah. you agree with that, that uh, the Stronish families are the number one person of interest for the podcast, right? Between you and I on the podcast, number one person of interest in the murder of billionaire moguls, Barry and Honey Sherman. Well, it's just like a Hollywood script. I mean, the media would say, well, how could you possibly consider these people to be suspects? I mean, they're fine upstanding citizens vertically integrated businesses they have horses and horse farms and horse racing and a betting system stop right there they have a closed loop vertically integrated system and it's making money hand over fist night and day whatever so someone who says look we can give these horses these what they call peds performance enhancing drugs and they're non-traceable or very, very close to non-traceable. Right. And we can make a small fortune. Well, what happens when a horse dies? Now, for people who love horses and love animals, you should get fired up here in this podcast. You should be listening now with both ears and say, yeah, okay, hold it. You mean to tell me they gave these, these horses drugs to enhance their performance so they can run through their injuries and win the race and make money for the owner, and then they died? Correct. Now, why, why wouldn't you suspect the people at the top of the food chain? Right. Now, they have something to, to lose by that? Well, 
it depends. If you have a thousand horses and you have breeders breeding horses every day, every week, every month, and you have a new influx of 100 or 200 or 300 a month, and right. you lose one or two because it was spiked, the right. answer, well, yes, asterisk, see footnote, not really. And so to your point, Josh, absolutely, these people should be at the top of the list. Right. I mean, friends of Bill, they end up dead. I don't know how that happens, but you just end up dead. And right. when you have people like this Barry and Honey Sherman, who were veterinarians of their own right, got involved in the horse racing, got involved with a lot of high level people. And I think, and you think, we're surmising on, on the podcast, they might have said, hey, these horses are going to die from this stuff. We can't do this. We have some kind of ethos, a, a morality in us that says we can't do this. And so they started to push back. They started to speak up. Somebody said, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't we paying you a lot of money? What are you speaking up for? <laughs> well, well, yeah, but it's not the money. The horses are dying. Hey, pal, we're paying you a lot of money. Tell right. the whole horses. And that's when the rubber hit the road. And someone says, we got to get rid of these people. They're going to cause a lot of trouble. They're gone. They're dead right. in their base. Right. Who did it? Who done it? Jeez. I mean, there's a list of characters, right? Right. And we'll go through that list next week. Yeah. Because you do have the, the son, uh, mm -hmm. the dad, 50 million, right? <laughs> we were talking about scale oh. before. Uh, people asked me for a couple hundred bucks, and I just gave it to them. People ask Barry Sherman for 50 million. <laughs> right? Because they, they live in a, in a different world. So different, we'll look different world. That. Horse yeah. racing crime. And then, you know, we have talked about the boards and we have people at the top of the boards. We're at San Diego City Council, uh, top gay Republican in the top gay Republican. This is a, a Republican, uh, Carl DeMeo, that has more stature, more money, more ability than Caitlyn Jenner than people are making a big deal about. We had somebody the tops of Caitlyn Jenner, hands down on the podcast, Carl DeMeo, encouraged to listen to all of them. So yeah. you understand how the pieces of life and money and wealth, right? Carl DeMeo said, what's gotten me out of the jam? What gives me mental strength, courage, all the money I have, all the success of it, <laughs> right? Carl He was entrepreneur. Yeah. No, no. So watching the Belmont Stakes and horse racing, true crime, we're looking at, okay, this is what we're going to do next week. And we're watching the race. My horse falls out, but, right, it takes a village. Again, if you're the smartest, toughest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I put my ego at the door and I put, um, Mike Persinisi's horse, Rumbar, on a show ticket at 12 to 1. And I put my horse, right? And that's the only two ones I did. Boom, Coach Mike's horse hits. And at the end, right, he finishes third. The winner's essential quality. Right. And I'm like, what happened to my narrative? I was half right. Rumbar wins with Flavian Pratt. Uh, wins. The Preakness, but the Belmonts worked by essential quality. And Rick, that we had on the podcast last time, uh, very aptly put that the upside for essential quality wasn't as big as uh, the upside. Rumbar. Rumbar. Mm -hmm. So, how does this horse sneak in there? Because now, now 
for me in, in reading more about these people, uh, these people have so much money, they rarely get off the script. So for them to suddenly come off the boardroom, right? Uh, and switch scripts for a race and leave it to chance, people to put nothing to chance. It's kind of ridiculous, right, to think. So what am I missing, right? So uh, mm -hmm. I think it's Mike Tarico. And I met Mike, Mike Tarico once in person. He was coming out of uh, the finals when Orlando was in. <laughs> this, is, this is like 13 years, years ago. Yeah. Uh, and um, the way I met him was because at the restaurant I had, uh, they were high-end restaurants. But once I was done with my takeout with 12 tables, they loved how everything was operated. They wanted me to operate bigger spots, a bigger place. And that's where I was. And, you know, oh, here comes Mike uh, Tarico. So always uh, pay attention to what he says. And suddenly, Mike has a certain cadence, right, that he even has when you meet him. He has his cadence. Right. And suddenly his cadence speeds up and he's running through this story and it's nuts about the owner. And maybe Mike Tarico has been listening to the podcast <laughs> and seeing how we're profiling the owners and tying them to true crime, right? Like investigation discovery, uh, snapped the story on, you know, on oxygen, right? Snapped is uh, stories of wives that killed their husbands. So this guy in this podcast is tying crimes and criminal behaviors to owners of horses, people who are conglomerates, people who have billions of dollars. So essential quality wins. And the owner of essential quality is Mohammed Bid Shahid Al Markham, also known as Sheikh Mohammed. Remember, these guys are uh, trained and they uh, go to Ivy League schools and they're Americanized in many ways. He's a keen equestrian and he's the founder of the Markham family owned Goldfin Racing Stable and thoroughbred breeding operation with operations in six countries. So they're up there with the Stronage family, right? Right. 1912, he rode the horse Mighty Du DuPont, right, in the FEI World Endurance Championship. Right. So then he, Mike Tirico starts saying something about uh, some daughter that somebody spot her at a mall and that she's alive and that he didn't kill him. I'm like, whoa, this is a, a break. It's usually they're, you know, they're with the owners and they're, uh, you know, with champagne, right? Yeah. They're usually people like John and Diane uh, Frankton, right? John and Diane Frankton, very right. success. Uh, the first Triple Crown race called Rumbrauer. Uh, the Frankens operate a small breeding operation and usually sell their flows, but they kept Rumbrauer and gradually developed one of the best racehorses in the group for several months, uh, sold the horse for $12,000, and the horse is currently valued at 
million. <laughs> so that's the title returns the cheek likes. So what's going on with his daughters, right? Uh, and first, I'll, I'll give two backgrounds. I'll give the backstory history, right? I'll let you opine on that. And then we're going to go into history of the kidnapped daughters, how the daughters want to get out of it, and how it deals yeah. with uh, geopolitics and horse racing in the, the best we place of the horse, uh, the horse track, right, to win. So let's go through the history real quick. Uh, it's the value of my British literature education, which there's a lot of history involved. You got to know the history in order yeah. to learn the literature. And there's an MBA class uh, in Minnesota or MBA program that just uses Shakespeare because there's a lot of finance business in Shakespeare, right? Uh, the Merchant of Venice. Uh, and I'll put a list in the podcast notes of Shakespeare's play. Like Shakespeare was not a person. He was a media company that was called Shakespeare. And William Shakespeare was the CEO. He, uh, William Shakespeare said and wrote, great writers write well. Even great writers steal. So what he did was steal Italian operas, put them around. And uh, I'll put the list of the ones that you learn so much about business and making money from these plays. That's uh, it's crazy, right? So mm -hmm. uh, the Merchant of Venice is the one, you know, a pound of flesh, right? Talks about legality, right. what we're talking about, morals, ethics, what's illegal, what's not illegal, selective prosecution. And a pound of flesh is really gets to the heart of what selective prosecution is. So, so if you listen to Omar, right? And Omar, I'm always afraid she's going to wrap herself up in a bomb and blow up Congress. And then you listen to Taylor Green, and the reason why Taylor Green talked about the Jews, right, masks and Jews, is because uh, extreme alt right wing folks believe that the Jews have taken over the banking industry and are cheating everybody. And that comes from Rothschild in India training company and Rothschild was a family from England connected to the Queen of England and they were the first publicly traded company so we talked about Wall Star bets a $12,000 horse being sold for 35 million maximum security uh trained by Bob Baffert spiked steroid and fuel horse but still sold for a lot of money so those gains were from the India training company and they to this day uh, set up the systems and, and control right. things in the Middle East. And then you have people do their own research. Remember, we're talking about facts here, right? Things that are proven to be true when comp uh, contemporaneous documentation. So the Library of Congress has contemporaneous documentations of Woodrow Wilson in 1914 when he, when he conveyed, convened three senators, right? and voted to make the Federal Reserve, right? The Federal Reserve had a big decision yesterday on the money supply, banks, okay? Made them private. So I'm not gonna say people do it for themselves. I'll give them the link. And one of the families are, of course, you guessed it, the Rothschild family, right? The bankrolled all the oil in the Middle East, right? So they have a lot of money. They're linked to our guy, Sheikh Mohammed. <laughs> That's the history, right? That's where Sheikh Mohammed comes from. He makes Dubai, 
And then his dad says, listen, let's make Dubai a combination of Vegas and San Francisco to have tourism dollars and you never put all your eggs in one basket. I did not put it on the one horse that I thought was gonna be, the 12 to one horse, da da da. I didn't put all my eggs in one basket. I did a show ticket on my Christianese show horse. So Sheikh Bahamas dad did the same thing. He says, you know, we can't just live on oil alone. We gotta be more diverse than my Saudi cousins, right? And we're gonna pay off the US for our military. So they pay us off to protect them, right? They pay us good money, but they want to be involved with us, with Dubai. And uh, all my friends that have gone to Dubai tell me the same story. They have the circuit of prostitutes that are all cut up like supermodels by plastic surgeon. There are a whole army there. Uh, the same ones that are in Ukraine, the same ones that are in Russia, this whole worldwide sex trafficking ring that our poor guy, Matt Getz, is also involved in. But you can go Antonio Villagrosa, mayor of Los Angeles, Bill Clinton, Melendez, <clears throat> that famous plane that goes to the Dominican over there with uh, Epstein and Bill Gates and the guy from the royal family. The list goes on and on and on. Right? So before we get to the daughters, what do you think about this background, right? About the guy <laughs> who, who's connected to us with essential quality, the winner of your Belmont Stakes. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm a viewer or a listener like I am, <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> but the thing about, the thing about, and I only know a few people in this realm, the thing about people from Saudi Arabia and from the Middle East, they're involved in the oil business at some level. The amount of monies generated are, they would be obscene to most Americans. To most of our viewers and listeners, you'd say, what do you mean $27 trillion? That's ridiculous. Okay, probably. But the, the dollar amounts, Josh, that they generate are so high that they do things for grins and just for play. Like we have 100 horses we own. And we own a, oh, by the way, we own a racing stable. And why all the, we, next thing you know, they have money where they're just buying things because they can. And it's a, it's a pleasure. It's an enjoyment. It's a hobby. It's a whatever you want to call that. And well, this is a, uh, they're getting better at it, especially with Wall Street bets. They're understanding uh, because they own slaves, right? And they enslave people. So they they're do. constantly underestimating us, us yeah. common folks who don't feel like common folks or slaves feel like, you know, we've learned something to leverage. The other thing is that they love capitalists. Right, the mm -hmm. guy like Fidel Castro, who talks about socialism or whatever, he died with a billion and a half dollars. Yeah, Putin has two hundred billion dollars. So how does Putin, um, making three hundred thousand dollars a year as the head guy in the Soviet Union, end up with two hundred billion dollars? Right. Why is he He's, talking about black lives? Be careful now. We're talking about this in public. <laughs> oh yeah, no, because this is this is the key, right? Yeah. Uh, Putin talks about Black Lives Matter, talks about January 6th. Right. He doesn't like it, right? Because he has so much money invested. Fidel Castro has so much that's in the United States, so much real estate invested in the United States that as the United States prosper, Putin prosper. Uh, these guys in the Middle East prosper. However, they still want to hang on 
like a drug addict to their addiction, to an alcoholic wants to hang on to the bottle, they want to hang on to certain hang ups or things they were taught as kids. So these Middle Eastern guys hang on to having 20 wives, hang on to having uh, slaves in their certain red lines they don't cross, but mm-hmm. they love the money. And uh, as president of the Orange County Diversity Council, uh, diversity is not a soft skill. It's, diversity is that uh, you make 40% more cash flow, free cash flow, having a diverse company. Now, more. inclusive, you don't have the same numbers, right? And that's a whole other story, whole other podcast. So other people, I need to finish writing before I get distracted by football season. But inclusion is a whole different thing. But diversity, right. diversity is really, but bottom line, it's fundamental business, which is privatism. Okay, what makes money? What's going to give you a high margin? What's going to give you free cash flow, right? That's what being diverse is, having a <laughs> mind to profit. They're not diverse. The way they got diverse is creating a city like San Francisco, having those tourist dollars, being like Vegas, having the money. However, as we'll get into right now, the personal stuff has not changed. They're not like uh, most U.S. families. And they can make crimes to that end. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they feel that they're above law, which they are. I mean, there's a slave uh, that got you know, here in Irvine, got away, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if they, the family faced the penalties of having slaves because having slaves are illegal, but they have so much money to pay everybody off that uh, justice and law and uh, execution of the law, right? Prosecution, selective prosecution. Selective prosecution. It, it, it all ties into play. So let's look at the timeline of the kidnapped daughters. And what's, what's going on with this, right? So I'm going to read half of it and I want to know your reaction to it. Okay. And I'll read the other half, right? So July 2000, Princess Latifah's older sister, Shama, escapes while on holiday, and I'm reading from British papers, uh, with other members of the Sheikh bin Mohammed family at their Surrey estate. Sheikh launches a search for her, doesn't inform the police, so he doesn't inform the police. So he's doing his own. All right, so here we go. Crime number one, he's got his own police force out of their jurisdiction, going around looking for his daughter illegally his men track her down his men track her down in cambridge over a month later in an email to her solicitor trauma says that she was bundled into a car by four airmen and driven to her father's house in newmarket where she was injected and given tablets more illegal. So that's crime number two. Start counting the crimes. Crime number two. The next morning, she was flown back to Dubai in a private plane. Now, when they say his men, uh, every dictator or every guy like this has their own uh, private army. And usually the numbers, coincidentally, is special forces. With special forces sitting in or you know, the Rangers, it's about 2,000 men. So they have 2,000 men that they pay and they you know create 
well for generations and they're loyal to the prince, not the buyer of the country. Same thing goes for Fidel Castro, right? My uncle was, is a member of the Cuban military. And his job was to protect the house of Fidel Castro. Mm. So he used to laugh when he's, you know, sitting around with us because when the real Fidel Castro was there, he was told to leave and go on vacation because he wasn't part of the real team. He was part of the fake team. Right. And there's people that were loyal to Fidel Castro, not to Cuba. Uh, same right. thing with Ceausescu. When Ceausescu was defeated and communism was defeated in Czechoslovakia, his loyal guys, right? He'd been there so long that they were up to 10,000, fought to the end, fought to the death for Ceausescu. Not for, um, so Putin has his guys, uh, whoever it is, the guy from Saudi Arabia, uh, from Syria has his thousand guys who protect him, right? They're an army, special forces for him not to buy. So those are the guys, when it says his men, those are the guys that took the, the girl which tried to escape. So th- June 2002, uh, and I'm pronouncing these names wrong. I have the links, but uh, you guys can give me the right uh, pronunciation and I'll execute it next time. So Latasha makes her first escape attempt at age 16. She tries to get across the border of uh, UAI. And Oman is but caught and brought back to Dubai where she is jailed for three years and four months. This is who uh, Tariko was talking about at the end of the race. I'm trying to watch it. <laughs> to the horse racing true crime. She says that she was kept there in solitary confinement and torture. This is 2002, we're in 21. 2010, right where we, uh, Coach uh, Mike and I, Mike Rossini's and I meet, where a decade ago, Latifia means Tina Jahunson, a fitness instructor hired to teach her a Brazilian martial art called Capionera. Due to mm-hmm. trends, Latifia's movements are restricted. She's not allowed to have a passport or leave Dubai. I'll read this and then I'll ask you the questions. In 2011, Lafia contacts Herb Gerwart, a French businessman who two years had successfully escaped Dubai after being convicted in absentia of embezzlement. Hmm. Over the next few years, they planned her escape in detail. Adriana Hasurian is enlisted as an aide in go-between. So two questions, right? What do you think of all that? Make sense of that as much as you can for us. And number two, if he's willing, uh, the sheik Mohammed, to do all these crimes, is he willing to spike horses? For the well, big returns we're talking about. Well, I have to tell you, Josh, listening and I've read some of that same material. You know, the first thing that pops up in my mind, I'm sure our viewers and listeners can relate to this, is there's a lot of money at a really, really, really high level. Okay, so did she really, really get kidnapped? Was she really, really drugged? Was she really, really put in solitary? I mean, if, if you and I said solitary confinement, they're pumping us sunshine and pushing food under the door. 
in Dubai, solitary confinement might not be the 26,000 square foot property. Right. It's the smaller 12,800 square foot. And she's restricted to the country of Dubai for a month. So, and I don't mean to be cynical to the point of not believing it, but I am and I don't. <laughs> Just because these people are master manipulators. They truly are. You talked about the false guards and the false guys versus the real i don't know anymore if we and this is not just americans but as world citizens ever really get the truth it's always gone through filters it's always gone through levels of for lack of a better word let's refine that let's revise that let's change that it's like i have a hard time believing that so assuming just for a moment right that it happened and assuming that that was a horrible thing if this man truly was a father that truly loved his daughter he would leave everything to go find her and i don't see right, but that. we got to talk about the life right this guy has like 20 wives probably fidel castro lied, died with like exactly. 250 kids yeah uh, yeah billion and a half dollar payout in switzerland for uh the life insurance policy so these guys have like their main like official family Right. And then they have, you know, hundreds of kids all over the planet. So this is horse racing, true crime. Uh, and in a way, she seems like a spy because of her training. She can, she can beat you up. Man. She, can, uh, she can train uh, like a CIA spy. Yeah. She has yeah. a good narrative going. Uh, but Mike Tirico, all right, getting it back to horse racing, had a need or was told to add this to the to the uh, CBS broadcast that piqued my attention to look at these crimes being uh, committed, right? So yeah, you make sense of all that. And I'm taking that as a yes. The, 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 the cheek would have no problem spiking a horse to get the return that he got or all these people got with maximum security. Sure, sure. Sure. Right. right. So for early February 2018, Lafia records a video documenting her life and plans. She calls it just in case video and says it to a group of trusted people with instructions how to publish it if her escape fails. Right. Right. In the details and restrictions she's under in Dubai, her first escape attempt, her plan to leave Dubai and claim asylum. So when you go to Dubai, and this is a thing that people don't understand if you read them all. I, I really, uh, I really suggest everybody to read the Mueller report and do your research, right? And then learn about the world so you understand a lot that's going on and why people do things. Why did Taylor Greene say what she said? Why did Omar said what she said? Why does Dr. Fauci? Because we got into understanding Dr. Fauci. Why does Dr. Fauci? say why he says why did dr fauci dr fauci can't be fired right so why did dr fauci give money to the lab in wuhan that's connected to the chinese communist army for creating biological weapons right he swears he didn't do that josh and then finally one day he says, well, we did give some funds for yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, I, he had to lie to us, the American people, to protect us. Then he had to tell us the truth to protect us from the lies he told us. To but if both Biden, right? Look, there's very few things Joe Biden and Donald Trump, right, have in common. We can do what uh, uh, public health, true crime. But uh, very few things Joe Biden and Donald Trump have in common. One is that they're both deathly afraid of watching. It almost seems like if Fauci wanted to pop up, Fauci could have Biden or Trump popped in two seconds because it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter if it's Fox. It doesn't matter for CNN. Fauci is getting on there and he's saying when he, when he goes to Congress and tells everybody what to do, <laughs> nobody, nobody, you want to talk about somebody who really controls and runs, runs things is Dr. Fauci. And the NIH, right, is not part of, of the government. They're an agency. They were hired by Health and Human Services. That's why he can't be fired. And if you cut the fundings from him, uh, you see fear in the eyes of Biden and Trump. It doesn't matter what, what McConnell and Schumer, very, very few things they have in common. One thing they have in common, right? Neither dares the other. <laughs> One negative thing. <laughs> Go talk to Fauci. I dare you. I don't want to talk to Fauci. No, I mean, Fauci will pop you fast. All right. So February uh, 2018, Latvia and Miss German, uh, the, this is probably some FBI, CIA spy. Both these ladies uh, can kick your ass. Or kick <laughs> my ass. <laughs> uh, they meet early in the morning and take a 26-mile trip by inflatable boat. This is some CIA stuff. And jet ski to international waters where Traverse is waiting in a U.S. flagged yacht. Yeah. They plan to head to India. Remember what I said? The India Trading India Company. Trading company. Right. Uh, owned by the Rothschild family, the first publicly traded company that you know, did the spiking of the horse. You know, we talked mm -hmm. about Hillary Clinton. And the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the cow she bought for a thousand dollars and she sold for a hundred thousand. Yeah. The hit play for India, where she hopes to fly to the United States for political asylum. Eight days into the journey, just off the coast of India, the boat is boarded by Indian Special Forces. What we talked about, Special Forces. Uh, not the regular army, Special Forces. Right. And people are like, oh, we, we're getting out of uh, Syria and Afghanistan. No. In literally five minutes, the U.S. can have 2,000 special forces. They could take out uh, a million man Iraqi, uh, Iranian force, right? right. Uh, you saw what Israel and Hamas, right? Everybody, you know, and that's the thing too, right? Uh, we look at the facts. Remember, we talked about what facts are. We look at the evidence. And I won't speak for my Christianese, but I'll speak for myself, and you can tell me whether you agree. But what Hamas does and what the Israelis do, it's totally different, right? Hamas bombs Israel, and Israel responds. And there was a war in 1948, Israel won, and they won that territory. Right, right. right. Uh, Hamas says no. 
we won that territory. We deserve to be there and we can bomb things and we're fine. So Omar equates that behavior to the behavior of Israel. And myself, and I believe my Prestonisi, Kevin McCarthy, Schumer, Pelosi, Biden, Trump, we all disagree with Omar, right? But these people, Sheikh Mohammed, all these people agree with Omar in Hamas, right? So last year, Ms. Jurgensen hide in a bathroom smoke grenades make it hard for them to breathe and they make their way to the top of the deck where they're held at gunpoint. Lafia is dragged off the boat. Ms. Jurgen and crew are detained in a high security facility before being released. Right, so a lot of selective prosecution, a lot of crimes being committed, but everybody home and safe. Uh, and then I'll finish with these three and, and I'll ask you the, the magic question. And then we'll head to golf. March 11th, 2018, the anti-UAE pressure group detained in Dubai released her video and Ms. Jurgensen begins to tell her story to the world. December 5th, 2018, day before the release of the BBC documentary so we're making money off advertising off the documentary and so on and so forth. Uh, the story, right? Uh, it's the only value they're selling is the story. And they're making a lot of money in advertising with the BBC, the story all over the world. Last year's attempt, again, the government of Dubai publishes a statement right, saying that Lafayette and her sister Sharma are adored and cherished by the family, the official family, as we've explained to you. They say that Lafayette is now safe in Dubai and celebrating her birthday in privacy and peace. And then I'll skip all the way to the end. February 24, 2001, UK police are passed a letter written by Lafayette in 2018, urging them to investigate the kidnap of her sister Shama from a Cambridge street in Dubai in 2000. Right? And looked as part of an ongoing review. So that's what Mike Tirico was saying, was that Shazma was seen alive. And he wanted to know that, even though, I, to be honest, and I'll let you ask this question, you know, if you make sense of all this, I'm thinking as a, it was, it was part of the negotiation. Tirico had to say that, right? About the daughter being alive and seen. So as a progressive get of rigging the race for sexuality and allowing him to win, because if he murdered his daughter, his daughter can't be seen, how can this horse be allowed to run and be able to be sold for $30 million? If the guy had murdered his daughter. If you just listen to the storyline and even if you're an amateur monk or Columbo for 10 minutes, you say to yourself, man, something is really rotten in Denmark here. Something smells. Right. And gosh, as you're talking about that, most people listening or watching are saying, what are you guys really, are you guys intimating that this guy, this is Sheikh Mohammed and blah? Yeah, we are. We're intimating all of it. Yeah. Because this is, this is what TV does a lot of times. TV will have a reporter or reporterette right. do an interview, right? 
Now, between the three of us chickens and all the viewers and listeners, it's not really an interview. It's kind of like we need to get this out on the public airwaves so certain people watching can see this is code for, hey, this is a good time. Move the money. Let's do this. Let's do that. I mean, people think we're conspiracy theory nut. Right. I'm not a conspiracy theory nut. I just follow the money. I follow the behavior. And I say to myself, what's the motivation behind all this stuff? What's with all the smoke screens and all the smoke and mirrors and all the facades? And it's all to cover up all the illegal stuff going on. Horse racing, true crimes is it's for real. You could almost call, call it horses, butts racing true crime, because a lot of these people are not very nice people. And when you get up, when you're talking about $300 million, Josh, most people watching and viewing us at $300 million, you will change your behavior. Somebody makes you an offer at that level. You're probably going to say, how much? Right. So, and, yeah, and, it's very plausible. Right. And, and you have to, uh, you have to look at the numbers, right? So the first, uh, number you look at is the bailout, right? All the bailouts a total 10 trillion, right? Real estate market is uh, 26 trillion, right? Uh, the stock market is 16 trillion, right? So a lot of these numbers, these are low ball numbers. So we're talking trillions of dollars. So uh, Putin has 200 billion dollars the gdp of russia is 1.7 trillion that means that russia is a tiny country poor country the, uh, russia doesn't have the gdp of the horse racing industry that's that's right. how right if you want to know whether communism works or doesn't work the horse racing industry has a bigger gdp than the country of russia right. yeah Right? Yeah. So the handle for the Belmont States is $112 million. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at through uh, really a billion dollars in, in the handles of the triple, just the triple crown races. $1 yeah. billion, dollars, right? Um, so let's um, talk to a guy. We'll move from that. And it's funny how... We always have a reveal like a like a reality show. I guess it's just a reality, but this is real reality. All those are scripted reality, right? Almost like a sitcom. This is true crime. This is connecting the dots of published reports, uh, evidence that we have, right, in our life experience and our education, right? So shifting to a guy who's close to being a billionaire, owner, he's a vegetarian, but he's the owner of Five Guys Burger, Phil Nicholson. <laughs> And what are you thinking about the U.S. Open as far as odds? And we'll post this on the Twitter because uh, I know you're into it. And it's going to be very exciting, right? Uh, and at one time, we'll do a podcast, True Crimes in Golf, because I'm sure there's some oh. murders going on with jockeys and not jockeys, but with um, caddies. And people in the back, yeah. So just to give you, I'm an amateur at best. I'm not qualified at all in this. I just made some notes and I was looking at who I thought could play Tory Pines. Now for the 
listeners and viewers, if you don't like golf, please bear with me because there's a little bit of context here you need to know. Torrey Pines is in San Diego. It's right on the ocean. There's a lot of wind all the time. There are monumental cliffs. Beautiful place. I love to um, jog and go through the trails. Beautiful. Yeah. I encourage everybody to do it. And so the wind comes up, and if it gets cloudy and overcast, and the huge cliffs, and all the sand traps, and the water, and the narrow fairways, it's probably one of the toughest courses in the world to play. Right. So if you're going to play in a course that has a lot of wind, a wind gust, and so on, you want to have people around the world that have played in those conditions. Predominantly, South African players play golf in very windy conditions. And because I tend to be more in favor of the smaller guy, because I'm about 5'10", 190, I like the smaller guys for golf. So the first guy that I thought of that I chose to be one of the front runners was Louis Ustazen, who's a South African. Now, you need to know something about Louis Ustazen. He would rather be a farmer. He's a farm kid at heart. But he just moved to Florida, bought a bunch of property down there. He's going to farm and play golf. Because that's, that's like the worst place to farm in the, in well, the United States. But it is, is he what, from South Africa, you said? Yes. Yeah, there's a big South African mafia there with the Ukrainians that own a lot of land. Yeah. Hopefully he didn't get bamboozled. Yeah, hopefully. Farm land in Florida is not good. Hopefully not. But the point <laughs> is, because he yeah. was trained But there's by a lot of golf courses. There's more golf courses in Florida than anywhere. That's right. So because he was trained by guys like Gary Player and Ernie Els, He's learned how to play in the wind. He's learned how to play out of traps. He's learned how to hit the ball in the straight and fairway. So I think Louis Usain is going to be there come Sunday afternoon. Now, as far as people thinking about Phil, Phil Mickelson, <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble, Josh. I hope he makes the cut. I really, really do. Because if he makes the cut, and if by some miracle of God, he would win this U.S. Open, he would then win the Grand Slam meaning the four majors. But to, between the two of us and our viewers and listeners, I don't know if Phil's going to make the cut. Why? I don't have an answer for that. I, he just sometimes does well, but then chokes. I don't know. He may make the cut. He may end up second, third, fourth, or fifth. I just don't see him doing it. I don't know. Something's not clicking. People but if say, he does make the cut, I'll be happy because I got him at plus 4,000. <laughs> if he wins that means i win not 40 grand because uh, uh the irs be involved right Bitcoin involved yeah so who knows but it, it it's gonna be a significant amount of money now the the guy that uh coach mike has talked about he's at plus 800 so if you bet 100 you get 800 bucks yeah or if you yeah. bet 10 bucks you get eight bucks back yeah now, there's a couple other guys that you might want to watch. And it's interesting, the leaderboard today is primarily an international leaderboard. Uh, even though Russell Hart, uh, Hanley is up at the lead, he's an American. You've got Louis in South African, Francesco Molinari from Italy, uh, Rafa Cabrera Bale from Spain, and then you've got a couple of Americans. Now, the guys, people think, well, John Rahm, he's a Spaniard, but he went to school in Arizona State. So maybe John Rahm will do well because he just got cheated out of a win um, i think john rum can be there at the end of sunday afternoon so he i would choose that'd be a safe bet i think because john rum has good game 
He stays in the fairway. He knows how to play that course. He's a contender. Xander Shoffley is from San Diego, knows that course probably just about as well as Phil Mickelson. He could be there at the end of the four days. Now, some of these other guys, these Europeans, like Francesco Bonari, is a, not, not a very long ball hitter, but he hits it straight. He's a good scorer, a good ball striker, could, could be there at the end of the day. So there's three or four names right there. Just keep an eye on them. And right, once so, the made, yeah, let me give you the odds for those guys. So you got, okay. uh, I'll just run through, let's say twenty real quick. Let me know what you think, right? So the, okay, the, the wrong guy, R A H M. You talked about he's at plus five fifty. Russ Henley, Russ Henley, he's plus five fifty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brooks Copeland plus six hundred. Uh, Xander Southcliffe plus a thousand. Rory McIlroy plus twelve hundred, Patrick uh, Cantlay plus sixteen hundred, good old Dustin Johnson from the great state of Florida plus eighteen hundred, Hi, uh, Hideki Musa, yeah, plus eighteen hundred, Poe plus uh, thirty three hundred. Probably a lot of people are betting him just because the name, because he was in that whatever match play. Well, Bryson uh, won Henley the Open last year. year, just so you know. Bryson DeChambeau last year won the US Open. And his big thing is, is that he's pumped up and he's a big guy and he hits the ball 350 yards. Out at Torrey Pines, that's good. But if it's not in the fairway, it's no good. Right. And so some of these other guys that have much better ball striking abilities, it's much better for them. So what was so, Bryson DeChambeau? What was his? Uh, plus 3,300. So if plus you put... 30, Put a dollar, you get $3,300 back. So it's not bad to put a, a dollar on them. Uh, not bad to put at least, let's say, five bucks on the ones that Mike Presnici talked about. Yeah. If you hit one out of three, you, you make all your money back. You made a really good profit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just, I mean, because I play golf, because I love uh, Tory Pines and I enjoy that course, it's very, very hard. The average golfer goes down and shoots 120. They can't figure out how they lost 26 balls. Well, <laughs> you don't hit the ball in the fairway, you get in the rough, you don't find it, you got to take a penalty stroke. And you hit the ball in the, in the cliff, it's gone. Right. And the ball in the trap, it takes you three shots to get out. I mean, it's, it's a very, very, very demanding course. So. Okay, so what I'm going to do is uh, I'll do, I'll put 100 on Lewis, Plus eight hundred, and uh, you said Francisco Molinari, yeah? Francesco Molinari. Yeah, at plus five thousand. Yeah. Now we're yeah. so those are, those will be my three. Actually, I'll go with a fourth one. I'll go with uh, Justin Johnson because uh, he's in the top seven odds wise and he's won it before so late on the fourth day if he's around not a new experience for him okay i like that i like that you have to you, you can't count brooks kepka out he is a contender for the majors and he has the ability to sustain and maintain your favorite so yeah, that's, yeah. So that's a good one so at a one or two period i'll go with uh brooks yeah, I, I don't think that'd be a bad bet. Uh, and again, 
one of the things that will happen with these fellows is since I'm going more instead of doing a hundred, I'll do fifty on each. There you go. There you go. And we'll let our listeners and viewers know how we did Sunday yes. afternoon next for next podcast. So yeah. all right. And on the Twitter feed. So the Twitter feed's at hostway fiskaj O-S-U-E V-I-Z-C-A-Y. So horse racing, true crime. We really broke down how international crimes and financial crimes and the crimes and financial crimes are being executed in horse racing. Why? Mm-hmm. So you can pick the right horse, know who, what horse you are picking, and you make money at the track. We always close Winston Churchill, who some would say was an employee of the Rothschild family. Uh, Winston Churchill, who got after World War II, right, the major media, he said in a quote that I've picked out is, you make a living from your labor, but you make a life from what you give. Thank you for listening to the ESBC Podcast Network. That's why this one don't cost $800 and that goes to her. And I don't know what that cost, I'm just shaking the word. That's why.